Daddy going to be home? So I want to show him my picture. Oh, that's nice. What is it? This is Satan, this is Jesus, and this is a zebra, and this is Satan trying to persuade Jesus to jump off the end, edge of the cliff. Well, that's lovely. Who told you that story? Miss Braybrook. And, and she says that um, Satan's everywhere, not just in hell, hurting people. You know, that's just Miss Braybrook's opinion. It doesn't necessarily mean she's right. Are you calling Miss Braybrook a liar? I'm just thinking that even most Christians don't believe in a hell where people get hurt. Well, they're the sort of people that are going to go to hell. But I don't even think this, this character here exists. This thing with goat's horns and goat's hooves and he looks like a sort of... But he does exist and, and I know how he looks like that because devils, he kind of looks like a devilly thing. So you're telling me that we've got devils and we've got Satan. Is that is that what Miss Braybrook's... Yeah. That's what Miss Braybrook says? There are the devils are Satan's servants and they give him cups of tea and they find him food and if they see something somebody that's doing something good and they don't like it and Satan asks his devil friends to help him roast the um, person that's being good if the person's being bad then they make sure that the person um, has treats and everything treats for being bad in hell yeah. so there's quite a good payoff then for being naughty I thought hell was where you got punished for being bad no, you got punished for being good because he doesn't like good people. And if you be really good when you're alive, then he gets you down to hell. He pulls you through a really big dark hole and and he puts you in a chair and he roasts you. He pulls you through a big dark hole, puts you in a chair, what's and, and then And then he pours um, lava over you so that you roast. So if you're being really, really super goody-two-shoes good... You yeah. go to hell. Yeah, you get pulled for a big dark hole and you either get dropped in um, a big tub of lava or you or you eat really larvae food and burn yourself or... Do you know, I'm not worried about it at all because I know it's not the truth. Well, you can think that, but when you're getting um, put in a lava bowl or getting lava poured over you or anything like that, you would have wished that you listened. Now, let me get on with my picture. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so today, uh, we're going to talk about hell. And um, a lot of people believe in heaven and hell, right? Uh, people believe that if you're good, you go to heaven, or if you're bad, you go to hell, or there's uh, many Christians that believe it's not about being um, good or bad, because how do you know what good is good enough, right? What, who makes the standard of who's good or who's not good? And so many Christians believe it's not about that, it's about uh, whether you believe in Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven, um, and if you don't believe in Jesus, uh, you go to hell where you're dropped in a lava pit and roasted uh, for eternity, right? <clears throat> now, 
Uh, the reason we're talking about um, these kind of things is not because uh, we're the kind of church that's about fire and brimstone and we preach this kind of thing. And so if you happen to be visiting today, or today's the first um, time you're here, and um, this is already triggering bad memories, right, of growing up in church where it seemed like some preachers talk about hell in such a way that it's almost as if to scare people, right? It's to scare people into something. Um, you just need to know that's not uh, my goal. That's not our agenda at all. We're not that kind of church. In fact, um, we decided we're not going to close with a song today. Uh, I talked to Adam, and we couldn't think of a good rousing worship song about hell uh, to close with. Brad wanted to do Hell's Bells by ACDC. <laughs> Um, but we had to put an end to that. So we're not going to do that. So literally today, we're just going to have the sermon and then we're going to finish the service because I just want you to think about this really difficult question because it is difficult. It's problematic, right? The question of hell. And so we're going to address a few different questions this morning. Um, what should we believe about hell? Is there really a hell that's eternal and fiery, right? That's full of lava-y foods, right? And what did Jesus say about this? Because I think that's where we need to start. Because um, Jesus actually said a lot about things related to this issue. I want to read you a few things this morning. One day he was uh, teaching a huge crowd of people, and he gave this long sermon, and in the middle of that sermon, here's what he said. He said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. On another occasion, uh, Jesus was talking to a man who was not a Jew. Um, most of the people that followed him, he was in Israel, were Jews. But one day he met this man who was not a Jew, and this man said something amazing to him, uh, this amazing declaration of faith. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, which would have been mostly other Jews, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, that would have been fellow Israelites, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. John tells us that one day Jesus was talking to a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and he was talking to this one Pharisee, and Jesus said this to the man. You might recognize this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, on another occasion, Jesus was talking to a whole group of Pharisees, and he was a little less kind that day. In fact, he was downright angry at them because they had been so hypocritical. And this is what Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. And in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? 
So these aren't the only times that Jesus talked about these kind of things. In fact, he used all kinds of different ways and on many different occasions and in many different interactions with people, he said basically that some will experience life and some destruction. Some will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Others will be thrown into the outer darkness. Some will have eternal life, but some will perish. And then for that one group of religious leaders, there was nothing positive. It was just hell for them. Now, let me clarify for a second uh, what this word hell means that Jesus uses, because we read it in English and it says hell, but it's a translation of a Greek word, and the Greek word is Gehenna, Gehenna, which is actually a transliteration of a Hebrew word or a Hebrew phrase, the Valley of Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom. So when uh, Jesus was speaking, he was probably speaking in Aramaic, and every time he says what we read in our Bibles, this word hell, so this word hell is used 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times by Jesus. So every time we see this word hell, it's really the word Gehenna, which means the Valley of Hinnom, which was an actual place. It was this valley right outside of Jerusalem. It was this ravine where the Old Testament tells us hundreds of years earlier, some horrible things happened. A group of Israelites had decided to worship other gods, these Canaanite gods. And in this valley or in this ravine, they set up these altars to this one Canaanite god and they began worshiping this Canaanite god there. And they actually began sacrificing their children to this god. Think about that for a second. They were building massive fires on these altars and throwing their children into these fires to worship this other god. And it was so horrible and so wicked that prophets eventually came along and said, this is horrible and there's going to be horrible consequences as a result. Well, sure enough, several years later, the Babylonians swept in and they attacked Jerusalem. And right there in that valley, there was a massive battle and many Israelites were killed and slaughtered. And it became described as a valley of bones and corpses. And then later, Jewish tradition says that because these things were associated with this valley, it was turned into a garbage heap. The Jews in Jerusalem would just throw their garbage there, and it was always burning and always smoldering, and there were worms and maggots always feeding on the garbage. And it became this very tangible symbol of of judgment, of self-destruction, of something horrible. And maybe you thought when I said, well, the word hell, the Greek word actually means something that's not so bad. Actually, it means something worse than we imagine, right? It's this, it's this horrible picture of rotting corpses and maggots and burning fires. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this imagery, this language, this whole idea that maybe after we die, we go to one of two places, and one of those places is characterized or described in this way. So in this series, uh, again, if you're new, we've been in this series where we're just asking tough questions. We decided to sort of just ask some of the hardest questions that we face as followers of Jesus when it comes to the Bible or comes to God or comes to things we believe in. What are those areas that are really problematic or difficult to understand? And this is certainly one of those. 
So what should we believe about hell? Well, I want to give you uh, three options today. Three options that maybe you can consider. I think the first option is simply this. Option number one is to throw out the whole idea of hell because it seems really cruel and really unfair. Um, this is what a lot of people do, right? If hell is where God punishes people with fire and brimstone, I mean, that's just cruel, right? And if you take any of these images literally of burning fires, that's cruel. I mean, why would God choose to do that? Why would, maybe there's people who are, who are good out there, but they just didn't believe in Jesus. Would he really punish them in that way? That seems really cruel, there's really bad people out there who do really horrible things in their life. Is this really what they deserve? To be punished with fire and torment eternally? I mean, does anyone, does that just, when you stop and think about it, it feels cruel. And it feels unfair, right? I mean, is eternal sort of punishment really what anyone deserves? And we all love the idea of heaven, but I think when we stop and think about hell for a second, it seems so cruel and it seems so unfair and it doesn't seem like something a good or a loving God would ever do that the easiest option, I think, is just to say, I don't think I buy it. I don't, I don't believe in that. That doesn't seem to fit for me. And if you're here today and that's where you are, I understand it and I get it. And there's a lot of days where this is where I am as well. Like I just come to this place where I'm like, it doesn't make sense. That feels, I don't know that I can believe in that. But then I ask other questions, right? I stop and I think, well, what do I do with all the things Jesus said about it? I mean, Jesus talks about justice and judgment a lot. It's not one random reference on one occasion where he's telling this strange parable, right? And it's like, no, he talks about a lot. So do I just throw all of that out? And if I start throwing out all of the things he says about justice and judgment and consequences and eternity, well then, then what am I left with? <laughs> The other thought I have when I think about this is, isn't there something deep within me that longs for some sort of justice or some sort of judgment? Because I look around and I realize, just like you do, the world is not the way it should be. And there are bad people and there are bad things that happen. And isn't there a part of me that deep down wants to know that there will be a time and there will be a, a someone or there will be a judge that will someday make it all right? And he'll make all the wrongs right and there will be some sort of judge. I mean, isn't there part of me that longs for that? But if you throw out the whole idea of hell, well then what are you left with? I mean, how does justice happen? How does uh, judgment happen? I mean, is it, is it to believe, well, there's no hell, there's only heaven and everyone just automatically goes there? Well, that kind of seems unfair too, right? I mean, that just seems just as unfair as the other option. Or maybe there's no heaven or hell at all. Maybe life just, just ends. Maybe we just all cease to exist in the moment of death. And then I start running down the implications and the conclusions of that. And that doesn't feel very satisfying either. In fact, that raises just as many questions. That feels just as problematic to me as, as believing that there is something after we die. And so it's all those things that lead me to say, well, I don't know if option one is really a great option 
So there's option two. Here's option two. Uh, Embrace a literal understanding that hell really is this place of endless, fiery torture. Right? Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it, right? I mean, if Jesus said there's going to be a hell and some people are going to go there and they're going to be tortured forever, that's a bummer for them, right? Just as long as I'm not one of them. Um, Although he was most straightforward about it to a group of religious leaders. And I'm a religious leader. So like that puts me on shaky ground to start with. And honestly, I'm not really comfortable with this option either. I mean, partly for some of the questions that I've raised and some of the questions that you've probably thought of, moral questions of, this seems cruel. Feels like it doesn't line up with what we say and what we sing about God's love and God's forgiveness and all the things that God wants for us. Why would he, why would he choose to settle accounts this way? Why would this be what he does? I mean, endless fire and torment? Couldn't God have found a way to, to be a judge, a just judge without that? You see, the, the literal understanding of hell for me, it's, it's difficult emotionally, it's difficult morally, but it's also difficult biblically. You see, as I already mentioned, the word that we translate hell is this word Gehenna, or the valley of Hinnom. And it's about this horrible thing that happened there hundreds of years before. So when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees that day and he's so upset with them, he looks at them and he's not, it's not as if he's saying, I'm going to march you right down to that valley right now. No, he's using this valley and he's using what happened there as an image, as a picture. It symbolizes something. It, it represents something. <laughs> In fact, Jesus uses metaphors and images like this all the time. And they're not always meant to be taken literally. They might symbolize or represent something that's real and something that's true. But just step back and think about the major symbols Jesus used to talk about this this judgment or this eternal sort of thing. He uses on one hand this image of a burning fire that never goes out. And on the other hand, he often talks about people being thrown into this darkness, this dark place that's cold and that that has no light. Well, those two things don't go together. A place of darkness and a place of eternal fire. When you stop and step back and you realize these aren't meant to be taken literally. They're meant to symbolize or to represent or to help us understand something. And so I think there is a reality. I think there is a way of understanding what Jesus is talking about. But maybe, and here's, here's option number three, maybe there are other ways of thinking about this. Of taking Jesus and justice and eternity seriously. <laughs> of trying to understand what the metaphors really meant and what Jesus was really trying to communicate. And so I want to give you a few of these suggestions today. And, and I'm not sure any of them are right. And I'm not sure they're, they're the right ways of thinking about all of these things. Maybe it's one of them. Maybe it's a combination of a few of them. Maybe it's a combination of all of them. But there's faithful followers of Jesus throughout the centuries 
who have thought deeply about this and who have said, I don't think we should throw this whole idea out. There's something true and real here, but I think there's a better way to understand what Jesus is saying. So I have a bunch of maybes for you. Here's the first. Maybe hell is empty and God's love ultimately wins. Uh, Maybe when Jesus talks about hell or the Bible or the New Testament authors talk about hell, maybe uh, they're portraying God as like the parent who's warning their child not to play in the street because they're going to get run over by a car. And they keep warning their children over and over not to do this. And it's a real danger. It could actually happen. And they wouldn't keep warning their children over and over. And they want their children to take this warning seriously because it's a real danger. But they're also the kind of parent that's going to make sure it never actually happens. You see, this perspective believes that God's love and His grace and his care, and his protection, and his mercy in this life and in the life to come is so great that he'll eventually overcome all evil and all bad things. And everyone will ultimately experience his love and the life that he has to offer them. Now, you you might be sitting here and saying, that feels like a stretch, right? It feels too good to be true, and I I agree. It feels like a stretch to me, too. It feels like it's too good to be true. And you might be thinking, the New Testament never describes hell in that kind of way. It never says it's going to be empty, and you're right. It It never says that. But the Apostle Paul does say, in a couple of different places, that God is working to reconcile all things to himself. And in Greek, the word for all there, it means all. In Revelation, Jesus comes back and John sees a vision and he says, behold, I'm making all things new. We sang that a few minutes ago. Same word, all. Reconciling all things, making all things new. And so some people speculate, maybe hell is real. And maybe Jesus was serious. And maybe those are warnings that we should take seriously. And maybe they should shape the way we live. But maybe in the end, God's love really does reconcile and win over all things. It's a big maybe. Here's another maybe. Um, Maybe hell is the absence of God's presence for those who persistently reject him. Maybe God's love doesn't win over Everyone. Maybe there are people who reject him and reject him and reject him over and over and over. And so God finally says, okay, well, I'm not going to force you to spend eternity with me. And so God honors their choice. He honors our human freedom and our human free will. He honors the choice of those who persistently reject him by removing his presence from them. And because God's presence is the only true source of light and love 
and goodness and beauty and peace and justice and rightness and wholeness and healing because God's presence is the only source of all of those things. Then if hell is just the removal of God's presence, then it would be a place of deep pain and weeping and darkness. Here's another maybe. Um, Maybe God gives way more chances to respond to him than any of us are aware of. You see, Jesus invited all who wanted to come and follow him to follow him, to be reconciled to his Father through him, to know God's love and to have a relationship with God. And next Sunday, we'll wrap up the series and then we'll move to something new, but we'll wrap up the series by asking the question, is Jesus the only way? Is he the only way to have a relationship with God? Are there other ways? But but what if... What if Jesus is the only way? And what if there are people who never really were invited to follow that way or never really given that chance to hear about Jesus and what he offers and extends to them? What about all the people who didn't get a good chance to respond to Jesus or God in the first place? And I don't just mean people who maybe live in other countries or who follow other religious traditions. What about the kid who grows up with an abusive father? Does he have a very good chance at understanding that God is a loving father? What about a kid who grows up is abused by someone in the church? A lot of that has happened. Does he or she have a good chance at really embracing anything the church has to offer? You see, there's a lot of people in this world and in this life who don't really get a good chance at all. And maybe God in his infinite wisdom and his infinite compassion and his infinite understanding sees everyone and knows everyone's situation and gives us way more chances to respond to him than most of us are actually aware of. Uh, Here's another maybe. Maybe hell is the process of dehumanization. It's the shrinking of the self to nothingness without God. C.S. Lewis often wrote and talked in this way. That as humans, we're made in the image of God and we find our true humanity in relationship with him, in worshiping him, in living out the callings and the identities that he's put in our lives. But God's not going to force that. He allows us to worship other gods if we want. He allows us to live for other purposes and other reasons if we want. And yet, when we do, we diminish ourselves. We diminish who we really are. We diminish our own humanity. There's a theologian named N.T. Wright, and he describes it this way. If it is possible... For human beings to choose to live more and more out of tune with divine intention, to reflect the image of God less and less, there is nothing to stop them finally ceasing to bear that image. And so to be, as it were, beings who were once human, but are not now. Those who persistently refuse to follow Jesus, the true image of God, will by their own choice become less and less like him. That is, less and less truly human. I see nothing, he says, in the New Testament to make me reject the possibility that some, perhaps many, 
of God's human creatures do choose and will choose to dehumanize themselves completely. Here's another option that's similar. Maybe hell is self-destruction and eternal life is a gift. Maybe the rejection of God, the dehumanization, the diminishment of the self, maybe life without God that we call hell is no life at all. Maybe to reject Him ultimately is to no longer exist. You see, none of us are guaranteed to live forever. It's not a guarantee that was made when God made humans. Eternal life is a gift that he chooses to give us. It's portrayed that way in Genesis by this tree of life that's in the garden. We see the tree of life again in the book of Revelation. God gives this gift to people, but the the offer of eternal life, the opposite of eternal life, is not eternal torture. It's not eternal torment. It's not eternal existence in this fiery place called hell. Maybe for those who reject the gift of eternal life, the opposite is simply to cease to exist. Remember that Jesus himself described the road to destruction and the road that leads to life. Well, what is destruction? What happens when something's destroyed? It doesn't exist anymore. And then in that famous verse, we all know, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not, what? Perish. But have eternal life. So so maybe God's not cruel. He's not torturing people in hell for eternity. Maybe those who persistently reject him just cease to exist. I mean, if he's the only source of life and he removes himself or some choose to not want that, then maybe there is no source of life. And maybe, and here's the final maybe this morning, maybe heaven and hell begin now. Maybe this whole discussion is not about what happens when we die. Maybe it's not about, um, uh, not as if uh, life here isn't that meaningful and um, following Jesus now is just so you can get a ticket into heaven so that when you die, you go to heaven and you don't go to this horrible place called hell. Unfortunately, a lot of religious people have thought that that's the goal. But what if it's not? What if we can begin to experience eternal life right here and right now? What if we can bring God's transformation and God's wholeness and God's healing and God's peace and God's justice and God's forgiveness and God's reconciliation and God's kingdom into this world right now? In fact, what if it's not dependent on us? What if God is already doing that and he just invites us to be a part of that? And his invitation is to follow Jesus and experience eternal life, but that's something we begin to experience right now. And it's way more about beginning to experience that right now and bringing that into this world than it is going to heaven when we die. I mean, what do we pray? What did we just pray a few minutes ago? Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth right now in our lives here as it is in heaven. And maybe on the flip side, that also means when we choose to worship other things, and I don't mean like statues or idols, I mean when we choose to worship our possessions, our money, our devices, our accomplishments, our success, right? When we choose to worship those things instead of God, and when that's multiplied across all people on a global scale, what if that's what causes human conflict and human pride and human arrogance and human oppression and human violence and human suffering and human pain? And hell is not some place that our choices now will finally validate or start when we die, but what if hell is the reality that we are experiencing now in our world filled with so many poor choices of living outside of God's will and away from how God wants us to live? What if we're self-destructing ourselves and our world right now? And hell is anything that doesn't have God's presence or God's love involved. Now, I'm not sure which of these maybes is the right one. I don't know. I don't know if it's one of those. I don't know if it's a combination of some of those or it's a combination of all of those. I don't know which one is the best way to think about this or to understand it. But I don't think the answer is to take heaven and hell less seriously. I think it's to actually take them more seriously. And I hope that you'll think about that this week. And you'll begin to think about your own choices and your own life and ask the question, how do I take what Jesus says about the consequences of my choices, but about the life that he has to offer us and our neighbors and our families and our communities and our cities and our world? I hope we'll think about that. Let me pray. Lord God, we do pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives, in our attitudes, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in this city of Denver as it is in heaven. And God, we want to live in light of the eternal and the abundant and the amazing and the joyful and the sometimes difficult, but you're always with us life that you have to offer. And so in whatever way that each of us needs to do that more today, would you give us the boldness and the courage to do that? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As I said, we're just going to wrap up now. So if you do this, if you just stand with me, and let me just give you a benediction as you go out and you think about this. And let me say a couple things. Um, As I said, we're going to wrap up this series next week. Uh, We're asking some tough questions. There's some great questions out on the board. You can write your own questions out there. Um, And we... We love talking about these kind of things. So if you've got questions and you want to talk more about hell or 
anything, right? Um, Stephen would love to meet with you. So, uh, so, and uh, Taylor's writing a big, long paper in seminary all about theology right now. So he'll talk for hours with you about this kind of stuff. But really, we kind of joke, but um, why not? Why not? If you want to talk about what you believe, what we believe, what God is calling us to, we'd love to talk more about it. Come talk to one of us. And now as you go, may you this week enjoy the abundant and eternal life Jesus has to offer. May you invite others to experience that life and may his kingdom come and his will be done here as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.